I'm turning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1 and verse 52. Reading two verses, He hath put down the mighty from their seats, and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. Our subject is the most influential sin of all. And it is, of course, human pride. Now, this is part of Mary's remarkable song of thanksgiving. It reflects, uh, from Old Testament times, Hannah's prayer, Hannah the mother of Samuel, and includes in it allusions to many other Old Testament passages also, showing that Mary's mind was richly furnished with scripture. And as she utters this prayer, it reflects various passages to be found there in the Old Testament. Our verses this evening are about the proud. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low decree. We shall be thinking about one human trait, pride, just one, but the most influential sin of them all. Look at the words which are used here. They're amazing terms. He hath put down the mighty from their seats, exalted them of low degree, filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. Look at verse 51. He hath showed strength with his arm. Listen to this. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. What a fantastic definition of pride. In the imagination of their hearts. That's so full of meaning and so powerfully descriptive. Well, we see it in history. God's punishment of mighty empires. He has demonstrated his opposition to territorial human power. The Assyrian Empire, the original empire, was mighty, but it fell. The empire of the Chaldeans, the Babylonian Empire, was mighty and seemingly invincible, but it fell. The Medo-Persian Empire, in a different way, it was powerful not only militarily, but also intellectually, but it fell. The empire of the Greeks more powerful still intellectually, but it fell. The Roman Empire, mighty in every conceivable sense, but it rotted away and collapsed. And that's the end of world empires. After those, there was never another world empire in history. Empires subsequently have been only partial, however mighty, somewhat localized by comparison with the ancient empires. But even they have fallen one after another. We saw in our own time the fall of the Soviet empire. Empires can't stand. It is impossible because God has decreed 
that there will be in his sovereignty an end to all massing of human power. It will be allowed to run for so long and it will collapse. It will yield to something else. And that's the history of the world as we know it. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Whatever they conceived, planned, hoped for, aspired after, it was in due time brought down. God's view of pride. Let's talk about that for a few moments. All that I'm going to say tonight, I'm aware, is so contrary to modern culture. Pride has now been deemed good, valuable, a right to be proud. People who are proud are praised for their pride, whereas people used to find pride rather nauseating and horrifying. Now they're praised to achieve maximum athletic performance these days, one of the vital ingredients is confidence, pride, just a cousin of it. You must be convinced that you are a world beater in order to get the last few degrees of performance out of yourself. Pride is everything today. In fact, it's uh, sanitised in the whole self-esteem concept. Something you need. And believe it or not, well, you know it, I'm sure. No end of ills are blamed on the lack of pride or the lack of self-esteem. As if that's even remotely possible. But society has convinced itself of that. There's no logic to the reasoning. Normally, and you can follow the reasoning of a thing. This and this for that and that reason causes that and that. But when it comes to the whole self-esteem movement, there's no such thing. It's just a given. And you must believe it or else. And its effects. So modern culture is completely contrary to the view of scripture and the view of God on these things. Him that hath a high look Will I not suffer, says the ancient scripture. Pride will bring him low, says the book of Proverbs. Low morally, low in the estimation of God, low in his own self-worth and feelings. He'll be depressed. We have heard of the pride of Moab says Isaiah, the pride of Moab? Moab was a small nation in olden times. What did they have to be proud about? Nothing much, except many sheep. But they were proud. You don't have to be big to be proud. You don't have to be accomplished to be proud. You don't have to be able to be proud. You don't have to be intelligent to be proud. All you have to do is to think you are all those things. That's pride. It's a great deceiver. Moab was proud of itself. 
And God brought it down as a sort of demonstration case because of their pride. Human pride, says the Apostle Paul to Timothy. The time is coming, and particularly the end times of society and the end times of the world, when men shall be lovers of their own selves. We see that today everywhere. Men lovers of their own selves. And he goes on to say, it'll lead to them being covetous. I'm special, I should have this, I should have that. Boasters, boasters everywhere. Proud blasphemers against God. You're proud, you've got no time for God, obviously. Unthankful, unthankful most of all to God for life, for consciousness, for health and strength and blessings and so on. Unthankful, that's a feature of pride. So God hates it. And God is against pride. God resisteth the proud, says the book of Proverbs. And the Apostle Peter in Second Peter repeats that. And James repeats it in his epistle. God resisteth the proud. If we're proud, and there's pride in all of us, and if it comes to rule us and dominate us, and it so frequently does, God will resist you. Where do you think all the frustrations of life come from? Oh, but he did very well in his degree and his postgraduate degree, and he got a plum appointment, and that led to another, and he succeeded in this and this and this. So look at him, the great succeeder, maybe now in his 30s or in his 40s, and he's so glum. And he's got so many frustrations and things have happened along the way that have negated all the things that he thought were so wonderful. It's as though there's, if he thinks about it, he could get quite depressed about this. If he thinks about it, it's as though there is a hidden force holding him back. God resists the proud. And everyone's under him. And all your frustrations... Some of them are orchestrated from on high because of our pride. Have you thought about that? It's not a thing you may want to believe, but Scripture says it. Pride is a moral problem. It breaks the commandments. Which commandment? Which commandment does pride break? Well, to start with, it breaks the first commandment. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Pride smashes that. Won't have that. I come first because of my pride. Not God. Self-love is everything. Self-esteem. Self-confidence, self-congratulation, self-rule. I am so special. My opinion must be heard. I must not be contradicted. I must have my own way. I will not be ruled by God. I am not coming to church. I am not. It's pride. 
It's the breaking of the first commandment, which says God must be honoured first of all. No other idol, and we're not just talking about money or false gods, but me, first of all, that's the greatest idol, is before God. Pride is also an intellectual problem. In this way, pride somehow governs all your thinking. You don't know it. You don't realize it. If you're making a big decision and you've got the pros on one side and the cons on the other and you're trying to weigh what is the right thing to do, you do not consciously bring pride into it, but actually it's the biggest factor. It isn't the one you write down, but it's the most influential factor. For instance, all the time your mind is thinking, how will this affect me? How will I look? What will people think of me? What will this do for my career or my well-being? You didn't write any of this down in the pros and cons, but it's there in your mind, and it's colouring everything and dominating everything. How many decisions have you made, and you didn't know it, but your pride made that decision, and you recoiled from something very good because you were frightened it would take away from you and your esteem or your appearance. It's an intellectual problem. It's the big factor in life because I am centre stage with pride. I am the one that matters most and that counts. I'm the all-important one. It affects all your tastes too and your choices. Pride just gets in the way. You never invited it in. It's part of you. It's right through you. Pride is a disorder of the heart as well, the affections. You know that you're made of certain components viewed spiritually. You have a soul, yes, but you have a mind, the power of reason. You have affections, emotions, and you have a will. Well, dear friends, pride is a disorder of the affections. You take the greatest pleasure in being flattered or in feeling good about something that you've done. It's really pride. And it's, it's affecting your whole emotional system. So it makes you vulnerable to flattery. And here's the problem, and here's the thing. You say, but I like pride. I like to feel good. I like to be the winner. I like the warm feeling, the heady sensation, the self-congratulatory sense that it shoots right through me. I am the best at this or the best at that. It's a disorder of the heart as well as anything else. Human accomplishment is so precious and so wonderful to you, and you start to do anything for it or to get it. 
That's pride. It comes in and pollutes everything at some level. Pride in human history. We must hurry. It's big in human history. The first sin of mankind recorded in the Bible was pride. Man fell in the Garden of Eden because Adam and Eve wanted something for themselves in their pride. This will be good for us. This will make us feel good. God is depriving us of something. This will make us big and expand our understanding, the knowledge of right and wrong. And as we find it recorded in the book of Genesis, it was pride, really, which opened the heart to the very first sin and the fall of man. The desire to be special, and it led to unbelief. God is not telling us the truth. He's warned us that if we eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we shall die. We don't believe it because it's good for us and it'll help us. So we'll have it. So it's the first sin in human history. It ignites so much sin. Territorial wars. A terrible war with Russia on Ukraine. What's behind it? Pride, according to scripture. Pride is behind all territorial wars. Today, the atheists try to twist this round, and they're trying to convince people that it's faith in God which causes wars. That's nonsensical. It's pride in the human heart that ignites every war. It's the engine of covetousness we've considered already. Why do people want more and more? Why do they want more than they've got and more even than that and more again? And the best car and the best this and the best that. What drives covetousness? My specialness. My pride. I deserve it. I should have it. I'm entitled to it. It'll express who I am. It's pride in the background which drives it all, all greed. It's the reason for so many lies. Not all lies, but so many of them are because of pride. My pride will not let me own up to something. So I've got to construct excuses and lies and get out of this. It's the beginning factor of so many. It starts in infancy. Pride. We begin to be self-aware and notice ourselves and want to be the best. It accelerates to a fantastic degree in teenage. Now, I hope I am the friend of teenagers. We've all been teenagers. And I am the admirer of teen years, when people are at their sharpest in many ways, and their sense of humour is at its fastest, and they have well, there are great things to be said about teenage. It can be in many ways a very attractive period of life, but there are some negative points. 
pride is on the rampage. It's expressing itself so powerfully now to get you carried away with yourself. Beware of pride. It'll exaggerate your abilities. It'll exaggerate your, your opportunities and hopes. Pride is like a huge truck towing a trailer. It's a parent sin, a father sin. It tows endless other sins in its wake. It does great harm. It splits families. What's behind temper? So often it's pride. Somebody cannot be crossed, cannot be shown to be in error or wrong. And so they fight and they fight back, lose their temper. Why? People, parent, father or mother who loves the family can split it up in a rage, in a temper, can do immense damage. And what caused it all? Pride. Couldn't back down. Couldn't accept something. Couldn't live in peace. It's pride behind it. It's a fearfully ugly and damaging and harmful thing. It's behind all racism and all oppression is pride. The more you think about it, the more you see it. But I want to just come to conclusion with a few comments on the growth of pride. How it grows. I remember reading about a man and he had sadly a hyperactive child. And the child couldn't cope with his own drives and so on. And the child came to about eight or nine. And the father just found him, even at that young age, so strong. And when he was in a hyperactive phase, the child, and out of control, it was so difficult to manage him. He was so strong. This can only get worse, thought the father. I can't cope with this. And he was writing about it. And I read this article. But pride reminds me of that. You think, oh, I'm not going to listen to this. I rather like a bit of pride. I like to think well of myself. I like to, I can control this. This is nonsense. You can't. Like that youngster growing up, pride will grow within you and grow and grow. It won't mellow. It'll grow ever more powerful. And you will be the top dog, the important one, the great one, the wonderful one. And all your life will be dominated by pride. It's pride that inspires all. Have you known people and they're hypercritical? They criticize everything. They run everybody down. They gossip a lot. They like to talk people down and tear them up and have them for breakfast, as it were. Why do they do that? Why are they so keen at gossiping and spreading ill? Sometimes there's truth in it. Often it's greatly exaggerated and there's no truth in it. But why do they do it? It's pride. It boosts them. If I can look at everybody, oh, he's an idiot and she's foolish and he did this and she did that, boosts me up. 
It's pride. It's again the engine of all this. It's really a horrible thing in the heart. It will never surrender pride. It cannot be wrong. It will never make an unqualified apology. You notice sometimes when the press goes after someone in public life for having done something wrong or foolish, and finally the concerted efforts of the press manage to get an apology out of them, and yet they don't. The apology is so heavily qualified and it's so uh, wrapped up in other terms and the person will eventually say, not I'm sorry, but I'm sorry if anyone took offence at what I said. In other words, I didn't say anything wrong. And things like that, so many examples. Pride will never make an unqualified apology. Pride will never surrender. Pride cannot be wrong. Pride will never repent of its sin. Some people don't come to church because they fear that they may be made to feel sinful. And they're not having that. They're never going to repent or grovel before God or ask for forgiveness. So pride keeps us away from him. And we're a law unto ourselves. Isn't it astonishing, friends? Truly astonishing that Christ, the eternal Son of God, came from heaven into this world of time to suffer and to die in agony, to bear the punishment of sin on behalf of such people as we are, with our pride, that he nevertheless sets his pity and his love upon us and is ready to forgive us and cleanse us and shake that pride. Do you know what happens to pride when somebody is converted? Well, when you're converted to Christ, he changes your life and he gives you a new nature so that now you have two natures, a dominant nature given to you by God, which is humble, and in so many respects, so much better and so different. And the old nature becomes a recessive nature. It's still there inside you until the day you go to heaven. But it's recessive. It may express itself, but you have, with the help of God, the capacity to hold it down. And there you must keep it. You're now, now you can fight against your pride because your life is changed and you've got a new nature. And the pride is part of the recessive nature, the old nature. Before it mastered you and it ruled you and it steadily took you over. Now it's different. All to be converted. Oh, to be born anew, to be changed by the power of the Spirit of God, to have Christ to be my Saviour, to have him bearing my eternal punishment so that I can be freely forgiven. What love, 
What loving kindness from God. How can I find him? I never wanted him. I never loved him. I never respected him. I'm full not only of pride but 101 other sins. And yet his kindness is so great he's ready to lay his hand upon me if I repent of my sin and yield my life to him. That's the wonder of God. Even pride, even pride can be dealt a mighty blow. Believe in him, friends. Come to him. That's the remedy. That's the wonder. Let's pray together. Oh God, our gracious Heavenly Father, look upon us all and help us and bless us this night. Deliver us, O Lord, from the power of sin and from the consequences of sin. Come and transform our lives and help us and unite us with thyself. O Lord, come and help. We ask these things in the name of our Saviour, for his sake. Amen.